and a plover down by the snowy river calling its sad threnody for the spirits of birds and beast and man that perhaps returned to the place they had loved. And the colt knew that the living creatures of the bush were listening. Yet it seemed that he alone was throbbing with excitement, almost borne on the invisible wings of eagerness. In the silent house, behind him, no one woke and called out. The colt moved restlessly up and down the fence, while slowly that beautiful call came closer and closer, hanging on the wind, inviting, enticing. And, as wild echoes rang in the rocks on the dark mountain, the call was taken up by other brumbies. He knew it was a filly's neigh, and the only beautiful brumby filly that he had seen who could own that voice was one that had appeared for a moment among the rocks and the gnarled snow gums on Parisher Mountain, and then vanished. That was two days ago, and when he had seen her, he and his rider were galloping after a red and white bullock that was trying to escape and make back to the high, wild mountains beyond that crescent pass. Now there was no sound from the filly. He listened. And listened. Only the neighs of other brumbies, high up in the surrounding mountains, were caught and carried in the wind, hurled up to the ragged clouds and the moon, and then dropped down into the valley to blend with the sound of the waters of the snowy. At last the bay colt could wait no longer, and he called with all his strength. Did he hear an answer from quite close? Did he? Or was it just the wind in the rocks? No wind sound could move him so deeply like this. No queer echoing sound of the wind could send his blood clamouring. It was his call, the longing cry of a young stallion so close by, that disturbed some of those sleeping in the homestead. The young man who owned him and had been riding him, mustering cattle, stirred and muttered in his sleep. A much younger girl woke, not knowing what had woken her, and heard the faraway neighs of brumbies blending with the eerie sound of the wind's roar in the stone chimneys of the house, and its whistle through the chinks between the slabs. She listened, wide-eyed, because she had never before heard the wild horses calling in the mountains all around. Plovers cried often down by the river, and dingoes howled to the moon. But tonight... Shivering, she crept out of bed in the dark and went to the small window. There was nothing to be seen. The moonlight seemed almost to flicker as the clouds were blown over the moon's face and then away, over its face again and away. She was looking out into that four-railed paddock in which her brother James had put his beautiful bay colt, but she could see no movement. It was just the wind and the faraway neighs that made the night so strange. The girl jumped back into bed, pulling her frozen feet up inside her long flannel nightgown. Still those neighs rang out to the windy night. After a while, she heard James get up and go outside, so she slid her barely warmed feet out onto the floor, felt it cold and hard, and patted out onto the rougher, colder earth below the veranda roof. She caught a glimpse of James silhouetted against the moonlight, moving towards the paddock fence, but the moon went under cloud again and she had to wait till the clouds blew across. Then, like a little ghost, she walked out to her brother. 
he looked around and started with fright. Marianne, he said, I did not expect you. I heard the Brumbies calling. Did you? Yes, that's why I came out. I caught a glimpse of Buzz in a patch of moonlight. He seems all right. He used the colt's pet name which he and Marianne had given him when they were looking after him as a foal. When the time came for him to race, he would be entered under the name of Desire. He was out of regret. We should go in, Marianne. It's a rough, cold wind, and I think all is well out here. We can't stop the Brumbies calling to the storm. No, Marianne admitted slowly. Her teeth were chattering. She was only ten, and rather small.